biggest comeback in franchise history. Raptors come away with the victory, 111-107. Toronto closes the game on a 22-1 run. It says a lot about character, but also, like, we can talk about character in the first half as well, right? <laughs> That's always hard to say, but it's not easy to come back from uh, from um, double digits at the halftime and, and find a way and energy to win the game. And uh, we just got to learn what it takes to, to, to get going from the jump ball from, from, the, from the start of the game. Ben Morning Show, Sports Time 59, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Got to start on time. You have to start on time, honestly. The Raptors didn't yesterday, but if you're not going to start on time, finish in the manner in which they did a 22 to 1 run at the end of the game mm-hmm. to beat the Washington Wizards, a very porous defensive team that they couldn't score against and yes. couldn't stop in the first half. Honestly, you want to talk about the difference of the game in the mm-hmm. second half was the Raptors deciding to play defense. And yeah. I know, yeah, they scored 22 points compared to the, the Wizards one. It was the one mm-hmm. part that was the, the most yeah, that significant. that was 22 to eight. <laughs> it's a very different story. A seven point difference, yeah. Brent. That's, yeah, that's a, enough to either win you a basketball game or lose you one. Uh, The Raptors do win it, and it's Scotty Barnes playing the role of facilitator to Pascal Siakam playing the role of scorer. Again, 15-23. Nobody hit a three in the starting lineup. They were 0 for a million. Uh, Raptors 4 for 20 overall from three-point land. But Pascal Siakam doing work, especially in the second half, 39 points. Scotty Barnes, 19 uh, Pascal also getting to the line 14 times this is a guy who to start the season, we did wonder about his fit mm-hmm. under the new offensive game plan uh, optimized by Darko Ryakovich. Also taking a step back, perhaps mm-hmm. at least in perception to Scotty Barnes, who was off to a tremendous, tremendous start. And you know what? Scotty Barnes is not shooting 42% from three anymore. And he's still, he's got the potential to go off in any given day. I, you know, I think the Raptors show put it pretty pretty well last week mm. when they talked about how every game needs to be like a referendum on who's the best player on this team, Pascal Siakam or Scotty Barnes, or like pitting them against each other. And I'm guilty of this too. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the Leafs, like I, just, I already did it on the show, pitting William Nylander against Mitch Marner, mm-hmm. where, you know what, like both guys are good. And I, I guess it's different because you are talking about comparable contracts. But yeah. as far as this team and being the face of this franchise – the the focal point mm-hmm. of a, a Raptors offense that needs improving. Do we need to like do a daily like who's the best offensive player? Who's got the best potential to allow the Raptors to reach their offensive ceiling? Pascal Siakam or Scotty Barnes? We don't need to do that. We do need to do a daily. How is this meshing together? talk or our mm. check-in. I think that is the way more important thing than there being a clear pecking order in a, I mean, let's be honest in a perfect world, Scotty Barnes ascends to a borderline MVP candidate. And that's like the perfect, perfect world. But in a slightly more realistic, perfect world, 
these two learn to feed off one another and allow one guy like you saw last night, Siakam, to kind of take over a game when the other guy doesn't have it. And again, I think the fact that a guy like Scotty Barnes, who, you know, it's a very interesting time in his career, right? He's clearly ascending. He's clearly taking a leap. But you also want to see him clearly being able to read the game and say, okay, it's Pascal's night tonight. He is feeling it. Let's make sure he gets a ton of touch, touches down the stretch. And that's what he did. And from from Siakam's standpoint, I think the one number that's so telling is not the 39, but the 14. Siakam's at his best when he's getting to the cup. You know, he is a he's a capable shooter, right? Like you're fine with Siakam. You're not fine. You're happy with Siakam with open corner threes and open looks. But a player of Siakam's ilk isn't getting those all that often. So you want him going to the cup, getting contact, getting to the line. So seeing the 14 free throw attempts for him last night, that is so encouraging. Yeah, and it's not necessarily surprising that they only shoot 20% from three and the starters don't connect on a single mm-hmm. three-point shot. But... I don't know if you can count on winning many basketball games where you get it. No, I, I know you can't. You <laughs> yeah. cannot. It is it is not 1964. It is in fact 2023. You got to hit some threes. You want to win in this league, generally speaking. Yeah, they didn't a season ago, and obviously Grady Dick is is intended to be a part of the upward trajectory as far as three no point Gary shooting. Trent last night as well. Like that's it. Yeah. he's a or guy that count on. And right. a lot of guys that count on to, no, to make their shots. No. Not in that game doubt but yeah this is a Raptors team that thought uh, that shot 33 and a half percent from three a season ago that was third worst in all of the NBA mm-hmm. they're bottom six now in three-point shooting this season they were bottom seven before yesterday's performance last year the league average on three-point shooting was 36 percent and I understand that, that team I, I realize maybe it's the exact same answer but is that team or player yeah average? it would be the yeah, same course, yeah. Uh, but yes. Look, don't expose my math on this show okay <laughs> but yes it is 36 percent was the average three-point uh shooting percentage which considering the defensive upside of this Raptors team mm-hmm. it does feel like there's a, a corollary to maybe not this year's Leafs team but Leafs mm. teams in in prior years especially last year what they were hoping to to, to get out of the goaltending position, just get like league average goaltending, mm-hmm. considering the way this team can play defensively, considering the offensive upside of your mm-hmm. forwards. That's all you need. I mean, if the, if the Raptors were a 36% mm, the other way, three yeah. point shooting team, which is like, that's, is that unreasonable to expect a team to be league average in one of the most important statistical <laughs> categories in the NBA in 2023, considering the defensive upside, and mm-hmm. I know the first half was not a great indication of this, but they were missing their best defensive player. This is one of the better defensive teams in all the NBA. Like, what is the ceiling for this Raptors team if you're you're combining a top five defensive roster mm-hmm. with a team that can league average hit three-point shots, like be a league average offense from three and obviously that impacts your half-court scoring mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, if you're going to be an elite defensive team and you're able to just make the open looks you get, and that's the other part of this, is that this team has capable offensive players, right? Like, you're not just hoping to hit your threes and that's it, right? Like, Scotty Barnes, pick and roll guy, Pascal Siak, and we talk about the repertoire he has. so much, though. I mean, well, the, it's, it's what we talked about. Of course, what so we talked different. about for this team for 100 years is spacing, spacing, spacing. All right. This insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider is Alvin Williams. How's it going, Alvin? It's going well. How are you guys? Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. Yeah, it was it was it was getting into that territory of uh, 
Yeah, I know Matt Devlin was, what, talking about his cleanup in his backyard? Like, you, you trailed by 20 points at <laughs> halftime to the Washington Wizards on a Monday night in Toronto, and you did feel like it was headed towards that type of game where you're going to have to go into your bag of trips, uh, tricks to make the, the broadcast entertaining. Luckily for you and everybody watching, uh, the Raptors managed to, to pull themselves out of that 23-point deficit and beat the Wizards. They've now responded from 20-plus point deficits couple of times over the last couple of games against the Spurs and against the Wizards. Does it say something about this team that it's capable of pulling itself out of, out of big holes, or does it say more that they put themselves in those holes? <laughs> I guess how you look at it, man. But, yeah, I would like to be positive with it and say it does say that the team doesn't give up. You know, they try to find a way. Now, the teams aren't the greatest teams that you put yourselves in the holes and the best teams, you know, you may not be able to get yourself back out of those holes, but it's about why, why, how are you getting in these holes? Like why, you know, Raptors really, you know, so far they've been starting games off, you know, not, not that great, you know, scoring. I think they've been averaging about 50 points in the first half. Just not, just not playing. But yesterday it just, they were lifeless, you know, coming out lifeless. And for whatever reason, I think I mentioned it on air. I, I don't know why that, that comeback game off the road is a trap game. It, it, for whatever reason, physically, mentally, it's just always been tough for a team to come back on the road and come back home that first game and play well or start out with that type of energy. And the Raptors just did not have that energy, and they made a Wizards team look pretty damn good early on. So that was something that was encouraging to see the Raptors come back and get a win, but you know, it was a little worrisome that, that they continue to find themselves in these holes early on. Yeah, for for sure it was. You don't you don't want to find yourself in in that spot. And you know, I actually want to talk to you a little bit about the lineup that that closed that game. I mean, what do you think it means for a guy like Chris Boucher to be out there and not just out there? I mean, making huge baskets, having a big big impact on a game. You know, there's been some belief of a changing of a guard happening here, and the kind of older Raptors who were here throughout the title, maybe their their role being a little diminished or a little different than it's been. What do you think it means for a guy like? And I'll just pick on or not pick on, but focus on Boucher specifically to have a nice moment in a game. I mean, Pirtles had such an outsized importance at the center position for this team this year. How important is it for you think some of these more kind of fringe pieces as opposed to the core players uh, to, to have a big impact and a come from behind win like that? I mean, as a player, you feel really good. I mean, when you get your chance and you're a big part of a win and you, you do things that's going to help your team win, but you know, Chris has been doing this since I can remember. Like, when he gets his number called and he brings that energy and he's, for again, the team didn't have any energy. And we bring a Chris Boucher, he's bringing that energy. And I think, honestly, it means more for the coaches when you have a player that you can rely on. When you put a guy in and, you know, we've talked about Chris and his three-point shooting and probably shot selection at times, but, you know, he still brings that energy. And he made the three, a big three, but he... You know, those finishes, those block shots, those rebounds. And when when you're out there and the opposing team, they have to worry about, you know, worrying about, you know, finding you crashing the glass, finding you in the perimeter. Like this guy, like he made a black, he blocked his shot and it was a loose ball. And next thing you know, he's on the wing running and finishing for a layup. Just for him to have that energy from defense to offense. Like teams, it's hard for teams to manage that. And when you do have, we talk a lot about the three-point shot. We talk a lot about offense. But when you have a player that you have to constantly worry about the energy and where is he, where is he at, where is he coming from, how do you keep him off the glass, how do you catch him in transition, that's something that a team, it's hard for a team to, to, to deal with that. So when you have that Chris Boucher and Chris Boucher and other players, 
it, it, it makes another team very, very, you know, wary of, of those type of players. So it's great to see Chris Boucher getting those opportunities and making the most of it because for, for whatever reason, you know, you have certain players that they do well and you like how they play, but they're the players that the coaches, you know, I, I think at times they take for granted because they realize they're going to be there for them whenever they call their number. So it's good for Chris Boucher to still, you know, do what he does. And I think it's even better for the coaches to recognize how important he is in certain games. And, and I think for that roster as a whole. Yeah, Chris Boucher on the court in the dying moments. Malachi Flynn on the court in the dying moments. He plays 23 minutes yesterday. Is a huge season for him in understanding what his future is uh, on this team. There were some rocky moments early on this season, Alvin, but seems like he's figuring something out recently. What have you made of the recent play of Malachi Flynn? Now, for Malachi, I think it's huge, right? Like you talk about Chris Boucher in comparison, you talk about people at different parts of their career and things that have been up and down really for Malachi. But, you know, I, I, I mentioned it again. I think, you know, that second half in the Spurs game and, you know, Boston and Dallas, he's been playing very consistent. You know, we know he can make an outside shot. We know they can do a few things, but it's just, you know, not getting – not playing consistent basketball. And early on, I compared it a little bit to me. I remember, you know, prior to Lenny Wilkins coming, I get I had sketchy minutes. And sometimes I look like I, I was, I've longed in a league. Other times I look like I should have been back home in Philadelphia at times. And it's just the fact that, you know, the coach, sometimes the coach in a relationship and what they want and their expectations, it just doesn't blend. And with a new coach that's going to give you an opportunity and let you play through your mistakes, and next thing you know, you find making a shot. Next thing you know, you're finishing games and you're part of big games. And I, I never forget Lenny Wilkins. It was against the Washington Wizards where he had me in a game late, and it was early in the season, and I finished the game and I played well, and and never looked back after that with, under Lenny Wilkins. So, you know, Malachi Flynn did another good job yesterday finishing the game. I was very surprised when he subbed in for Preston Zachua, but I thought it was a good sub. You know, pressuring the ball up top, you know, extending the defense, making sure you picked up the guard. So he, he and Dennis did that along with Scotty Barnes, and it was something that was really helpful. And then he also, he didn't, he didn't make any mistakes, you know, costly mistakes on the offensive end. So he was playing his role, um, less responsibility alongside of Dennis, and now, again, that was me. I got a chance to play with Mark Jackson, so I didn't have all the responsibility as a point guard. So I could play off the ball. I could play on the ball. So I'm very happy for him, and I, he's been doing a very good job playing solid basketball. And hopefully this is the relationship with the coach that can help him propel his, his NBA career. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable for a player like that what the what the relationship and the coach's belief in them can can kind of do. Uh, let's talk about a guy on the uh, kind of other end of the spectrum uh, in terms of coach trust. Uh, Pascal Siakam, 39 points last night. I mean, just a remarkable effort from him. He's 15 to 23 from the floor. He gets to the line 14 times. But maybe the thing I like to see the most in it was how, and and correct me if you saw it differently, but it, it seemed like Scotty Barnes was super comfortable deferring to Siakam, especially as that game got later and later going on. And, you know, I don't know that we always need to turn it into a referendum on what the pecking order is between those two guys. But, man, it was it was really nice to see. You know, Scotty Barnes, we've been talking him up a lot this year, rightfully so, is the guy who's taken strides for this Raptors team. And him recognizing that Pascal was just having the night he had and kind of letting him cook late, I, I thought that was a really good sign for, for both players and the way they can potentially fit together here. 
Oh, no, for sure. I mean, Scotty Barnes, to me, seems like a very intuitive basketball player. Like, he understands the rhythm of the game. He understands the flow. He understands who's going. And and he, he he's not a guy that needs to have the ball all in his hands all of the time. And Pascal is just realizing where he can get his opportunities. You know, when a new offense comes in, is put in place and – you know, you're used to having a ball in your hand and you're, you're going against, you're going to one-on-one opportunities. And a lot of times a guy at his level, he's going to go, it's going to be one-on-two, one-on-three because the defense is going to collapse on you. He's starting to realize his one-on-one opportunities. He's starting to realize how to cut without the basketball and put himself in position to catch and finish. And he's doing a lot of things closer to the basket now instead of, you know, catching a ball on the perimeter, staring you down and dribble a few times and then go at you in front of the defense. So, He's doing a nice job of really how to figure figure out where he can, you know, really grow in this offense. And it takes time, but you still know when he gets an opportunity, one-on-one opportunity, he can get to the basket, he can get to the free-throw line. I think he got to the free-throw line 14 times yesterday. And he just did a good job. And more important, I think he just, you know, saw in that second half that he's going to be needed. And from an energy standpoint, I thought this is one of the best jobs as a leader I've seen him, you know, take upon that role as, you know, not just the guy that's going to score. Defensively, I thought he was pretty good. He he showed that energy, but he kept the team afloat. And then when the other guys came in, as you mentioned, they did their job as well. And then Scotty had moments where it was really big for him. I thought his defense in that second half and that fourth quarter was really, really good. He picked up his energy level as well. So um, Pascal did a nice job not just scoring, but I think just being a leader and letting everyone know that, you know, I can still do this this thing with this basketball is from, from, from a scoring standpoint. Alvin, you're our insider. So I, I'm going to ask you if, if you have any inside information on what exactly the household chore was that OG Ananobi was doing <laughs> that resulted in his hand injury. I, so I, I have, I have more respect for OG now finding out he did it. Uh, a chore. Cause I know if I was making that money, it'd be three or four people in my house working doing all the sports for me. So, only thing I would have fell out the bed and hurt myself. So, he was. Like, have you ever had? I, I, I think of baseball. There's so many uh, because it's like it's a it's a fine motor. It's like very, you know, like if you hurt your finger in baseball, you can't pitch. I, there's like Clint Barmas is a former uh, Colorado Rocky who hurt his back carrying meat up a uh, up some stairs. John Smoltz was on the on the injured list once because he tried to iron a shirt that he was wearing. Like, do you did you ever have a, something like that that kept you out of a game, Alvin? Like, was there ever something stupid? Oh man, there's so many guys that have hit the IL because of. A, a, a vigorous sneeze like is, have you ever had anything like that that kept you out of the lineup <laughs> no i never i man I, I didn't i didn't have many things that kept me out of the lineup but damn sure nothing doing nothing domestic <laughs> ever whatever i let's you know we wore big clothes back then so i didn't have the iron i used to just order pizza so i didn't have i mean man no, no it was nothing during the day that was going to keep me out of the game and i i damn sure wasn't going to put anything on my menu to put to keep me out the game, so no. Oh, just, like I said, if I was making that money, I would have a butler, housekeeper, everything. So I wouldn't have to do anything. Just you saying the pizza there, I'm just thinking back to like the conspiracy theory about MJ and Salt Lake and and whatever happened with that pizza. So even pizza, not not safe out there, Alvin. Uh, one last one before we we let you go. 
uh, the stuff that happened with Darko at the end of the Celtics game there. Celtics challenge, Darko's woofing. In my opinion, I feel like everyone handled that exactly the way she, they should. If Joe Mazzulla wants to challenge, let him have it. The Raptors, go be mad about it. Bark at them. Like, that to me feel about the situation at the end of that game. Uh, exactly as should be expected, quite honestly. Uh, what did you make of it? Hey, man, it's one of those things. I, I look at Joe Mazzulla, and I see the criticism that he's faced since he's taken over that job. And a lot of times, you know, he's going he's gonna to feel like he has to coach. And to me, you know, using those timeouts, there has to be a strategy behind those things. I think even those things have to be practiced. You have to find out your team, how they, how they see things, if they see things correctly. So I think it's one of those things where you can always have a teaching moment. And it may, of course, you don't want, if you're on the other side of it, you don't want to be a part of it. But my thing is do something about it on the court. All this arguing and all this going back and forth is it, 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 worthless to me. If you want to do something on the court, it's just similar to you're losing and the guy shoots a three with 10 seconds left. And, oh, that's not, that's not basketball. The ethics of basketball. Do something on the court. Don't put yourself in that situation where you have to argue it. And I'm talking about from a Raptors side. But um, you will get another opportunity to play against them, and then you can really see how mad you were. So you don't want to be in that situation again. So, I'm, I'm Joe Mazzulli. You do what you have to do to, to win and, and lead your basketball team. And the Raptors, you got to respond now. So let's see how upset you really were at the end of that game. Were, were you and Matt at halftime like discussing the potential topics of conversation for that second half? If it would, like turned into another <laughs> blowout, like again, like Matt, were you, you you kind of you didn't really engage Matt when he was talking about putting away the patio furniture. Were you were you saving that conversation for a fourth quarter, maybe a forty point uh, Wizards lead? You know, I'm I'm still kind of new to this thing. I, I didn't know if I was supposed to go in that direction. I didn't know about the about the dog Jerry. I didn't I didn't know I didn't know I didn't know what was going on. But Matt was Matt was a little pissed off. Matt is out there like like he's actually you know he's playing. So at halftime, he slammed his notes down, he left the table, and I think he went in the locker room. So I don't I don't know what happened. You know. So, but Matt, that's oh, my man. He has awesome. Matt has so much passion for the team and. Everything. So I'm, I'm sitting there like I'm laughing at Matt, but then when he went to the, the chores and the dog Jerry, you know, that, I, I was a little off, off guard. Maybe Matt, like maybe he went into, maybe he actually did go into the locker room and and it was his halftime speech that that spurred them on in the second half. I don't know. Something happened there. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was a great response, but Matt was pissed off. I can't lie. <laughs> See, that's why you're the insider. That's awesome, Alvin. Uh, Alvin, this was great. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. This is Alvin Williams. He was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley. North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I... I I, I have so you, many tentacles I want to take out of this. I have like four tangents I could go with this. <laughs> so it was also the Manning cast yesterday because yeah. that's what had me think. Mm. Like the Manning cast is good when there's a blowout and like you don't care about the game. Yeah. And there, there's a, there's an L. Oh, I know. I, know. I, I forgot. The Mannings, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the many things you hate. Yeah, exactly. But there is. <laughs> listen, was the way it played out much more entertaining than it could have been had it been a blowout? Of course. But there is an element of mm-hmm. like. I, if you have a good broadcast team, which Alvin and Matt clearly are, that respect and like each other, there is an element of it's a different type of entertainment. Yes, very it much. It starts so. to get very entertaining when you got you know 
half an hour left of your broadcast yeah. window of a basketball game that's already been decided. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a, it's wonderful. It's amazing when we have these things creep up in sports. And yeah, the patio furniture that one did hit home for me though because I I just put my like my backyard couch for lack of a better term in the garage. Mm-hmm. Just did that and. Yeah, it's, it's hard, you know? I don't think mine's quite as sturdy as Devlin's there, so it's a little different chore for him. I just for put him. the cushions away. I left the actual wicker furniture no, outside. Put the wicker furniture in the garage. It's left, too big. Yeah, left the wicker table out there, which will be covered by a tarp. Mm-hmm. That's my move. So you're saying that this is going to... I'm going to rue this... Nope. I'm just telling you uh, to be... If you want to know exactly what happened there, um, my wife and I were having a discussion about this exact thing, and uh-huh. I just said, okay, fine. And I just got <laughs> up and just started moving stuff around in the garage yeah. and put it in the backyard because I was kind of... I was like, do I want to carry this stuff or talk about this for 15 more minutes? And the answer was, <laughs> apparently, lift wow. a wicker couch over my head. Wow. Physical yeah. labor, one out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that that is pretty surprising. You would have figured I'd love to argue mm-hmm. all day. Um, yeah, the other, I just, I'm just reading some of the dumbest sports injuries of all time. Um, Brian they're Anderson. All in, they're all in baseball. Yeah. yeah, Brian Anderson once had arm stiffness because he had his arm across the back seat while he was driving. Oh, you can, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. but like you're, <laughs> you're not a professional pitcher. Sammy Sosa, I think, was the guy that hit the IL because of a vigorous sneeze. Again, like, yeah, the yeah. I think it was the John Smoltz the iron, ironing the so shirt. I can't get confirmation on this because I literally just Googled dumbest injuries. And the Brian Anderson arm one, I have confirmation on. There's also talk about apparently he burned his face mm. testing the temperature of an iron, which that feels too dumb for any person to do. So I wouldn't want to put that on him. Smoltz did? No, no, Brian Anderson. Oh, they that's said intense. that he did that. Yeah. And by the way, uh, get better PR. Uh, John Schmoltz. I'd be saying every time someone says, I don't iron a shirt you were wearing, it'd be, at least I didn't put the iron on my face to test how hot it was. That's what I'd be saying personally if I were Schmoltz. I think we're going to get a definitive answer as to what exactly OG, like OG does seem like the type of dude that would say no, exactly he, what went down. But he would say the, he would say the exact thing once. I could see OG getting asked this question seven times and giving seven different answers, and one of them is true because it's just kind of fun to mess with people, and who cares? Mm-hmm. I could totally see that with OG's, like, very yeah. dry. It's like, I heard a guy on the morning show loves box cutters, well, so I did oh it with them. God. Psycho. Psycho I don't stuff love, all your box I, Just cutters. for the record, I don't, I don't <laughs> love box cutters. Oh, yeah. I just use them more than scissors when I'm breaking down a box. Secondary bonus to winning that basketball game was that is that yeah, OG can continue to joke around about it because they won the game without him, right? Like, it didn't cost them a eh, game in the standings that might uh, prove crucial for a mm. team that's going to be can I, tooth and nail to to make either the play-in tournament or or beyond. Can I give one more of my favorite dumb injuries? Okay. Uh, football, not Gus Farrakh giving himself a concussion headbutting the wall. Yeah, that's rough. That's pretty good. But Jags punter Chris Hansen, chopping into his own foot with an axe because head coach Jack Del Rio brought an axe and like a huge thing of lumber in there and said, we gotta just gotta keep chopping wood. And I guess after the game, he's like, yeah. And he chopped his foot with Mm. the axe. So good job. And by the way, uh, you know, I don't think any football player wants to chop their foot. Punter Mm. definitely doesn't. That's a rough one. Yeah. Uh, shout out to producer Jeff Azaparty who alerted me to the fact that Kevin Pillar was also IL'd because of a sneeze. Don't remember that one. Okay, sneezing. Yeah, I have, a rough. Ta- I have a tanning injury here. Mm-hmm. Man, there's so many. Oh, I'm, how, 
how can we do this all without going to the NFL as well? Uh, just like uh, Plaxico and Jason Pierre-Paul as well. Man, e- God, dumb injuries. I can do this for seven hours. Yeah. Really Those good. ones, well, especially the Plaxico one That's seems a little different. It's not as funny. No. <laughs> all right, when we come back, uh, your brother in arms, Damien Oh, Fox. damn Fighting the good fight. You guys are going to spend 20 minutes yelling at the NHL for, for sending the Leafs to for, Sweden. For different reasons. I'm going to be like, stop being angry about that. Be angry about things that affect me. Mm-hmm. And he'll say, you stop being so sensitive. Be angry about the right things. I can't wait. Stop. Angry Leafs talk next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Is ABBA going to make an appearance over the, the course of this week where the um, Maple Leafs are in Sweden? Are you, I'm certainly not, are you positive they're still with us? I don't. I'm, I'm some of them. I at got least, nothing right? on that. I I have no insight on that, and would never assume. All right, let's talk to the <laughs> foremost uh, ABBA historian, <laughs> along with his title as Leafs historian, Damien Cox, who uh, who wrote the 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 definitive. He article. hacked into my brain <laughs> to write his article <laughs> yesterday for the Toronto Star. Sending the Maple Leafs to play in Sweden is on brand for the NHL, as in it makes no sense. How's it going, Damo? Well, I'm deeply offended, I have to say, by your lack of knowledge of the greatest band in the history of music, ABBA. I'm sorry. They are all still very much alive. (laughs) Good. I'm happy to hear that. And they're, I think, anyways. And, um, (laughs) you know, they just had a big new thing. They're doing this show now with holograms and stuff. But if you're going to bring me on with ABBA, not voulez-vous. I mean, there's so many other great... (laughs) You know, so many other great tunes that you could bring me on. But I'm, I'm going to park that for just a minute. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked in a little while, but let's get it right next time. All yeah, right? no, I'm sorry. Yeah, Dancing That's Queen okay. is, is my uh, jam. Quick, Come quick on. check. They are all still with us. Thank goodness. We're all good. Yeah. Good, See, good. I thought I, I thought I knew that. And, you know, for, and, and they're kind of back together, but they are, mm-hmm. like myself, very old. So uh, they don't, you know, they don't. They don't. They don't run around and jump around in those crazy silvery suits quite as much anymore. Mm, me neither. All right. So let's let's set some context here for this Sweden conversation. Have you ever been to Sweden? Yeah. Yes, I have. Okay. Do they I've like? Been a, I've been. A, I've been a couple of times. Always in the middle of. Uh, always in the middle of winter. Mm. And in fact, in fact, if you want all the details, which I'm sure you don't. No, in I do. fact. I have been in Sweden, north of the Arctic Circle, oh, cool. to Boreas Salming's uh, hometown, and I was I was at, I had visited the original ice hotel in northern Sweden, and that's the only place I've ever seen the northern lights. Mm. Unfortunately, I don't remember it that well because they have this vodka-only bar <laughs> at the ice hotel, so I have vague, vague memories of being in a snowmobile suit on top of the ice hotel. Watching the the, uh, but that actually may not have happened. <laughs> I was gonna say they either really enhanced it or made it appear out of thin air. Damn well, it's it's a it's a memory, and like many of my memories, it, it could be true. 
<laughs> All right, so this is great. Great context, because, yeah, I wanted to talk about Boria, and, yeah, obviously uh, we had your uh, co-author, Gord Stelic, on the, the, the book uh, uh, about, about that Leafs team uh, from mm, 40 years ago. Uh, very much centers around Boria Salming and his Leafs tenure. Did you get a sense that the Leafs are, are a brand entity in Sweden? Like, is this going to be a national celebration of their favorite hockey team, the Leafs being there for a week? So I was when I was there. It was about twenty some years ago. Did I get a set that they were a brand? No, <laughs> no, you don't, you don't get that. There was a sense uh, that there, the NHL had some visibility in Sweden, um, but I mean, like they've been playing the, the the game in Sweden for a long, long, long time. I mean, it, I, what was the the game they play is Bandy that I think yeah. that, that was more popular. It was sort of. Uh, you know, it was like back in the days where in Canada, where lacrosse might have been more popular than ice hockey, but ice hockey ra- uh, gradually took over from lacrosse. It, I think it's kind of the same in Sweden. I don't know if anybody actually plays bandy anymore. Maybe they do. Um, but, I mean, it, it's hockey's, or yeah, hockey's incredibly popular in Sweden, but as, and, they have, and they have great respect for their great stars. But it's the local teams, you know, the, the teams in the Swedish Elite League or in the Second League, um, those are the teams that are really popular over there. Um, you know, this is not a country that needs growing of the game. Um, that's for sure. So, you know, back to what I wrote the other day and what you guys are talking about, why the NHL thinks they need to send four teams over in the middle of the season to Sweden, I'm, I'm, I'd love someone to explain to me why this is a, is a, is a great thing for either the NHL or the sport. Yeah, that's what I can't seem to wrap my head around. I mean, the the Kings and Coyotes, I think it was, who went to Melbourne, Australia. Okay, a desert country, showing them hockey. Yes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Is it going to be fruitful? Eh, quite honestly, I don't think so. But that, that I can at least understand the argument. But, you know, it is so interesting, right? Like, we talk about this in hockey. It's in all sports of the the dying to win. Every game is the most important thing. And how can you say that is the case when you're uprooting four teams and saying, don't take a trip that's three or four hours long, take one that's five or six, and then you're going to have to have basically a bye week either way. That's the other part of it. I can't, I can't kind of wrap my head around is all we ever talk about in sports is finding every little minutia of, of advantage you can have. And how can you look at this as anything other than a, than a disadvantage to the teams who are, are having this break up their season? Well, and, and, and to your point, you know, I've always felt that way about the outdoor games. You know, if every game matters, if every point matters, but you're going to take two teams and make them play in a football stadium, mm. you know, at night uh, <laughs> in 40 degree in 40 kilometer winds. So that's now, now every, you know, so that, that has always been a, a question mark for me. I've never been a huge fan of the outdoor games. I know a lot of people are. And so uh, good for them. Um, and, and the other point to what you were making is, so, the, whenever the, the Olympics come up, Gary Bettman always trots out the line, we don't like to interrupt our season. Right. Mm. Well, what is this? But I mean, the Leafs are going to play two games in 12 days. <laughs> How is this anything but interrupting their season? And they're doing it with four teams. Mm. Um, now, it's interesting that they're doing it with four teams that are all in markets where the game is really, really popular. And so... Maybe those teams don't have to worry about, you know, uh, the gate as much or being absent from their market. Uh, I suppose that's possible. Um, 
but, uh, you know, it just doesn't pass the smell test. And I have to say, when you were talking about Australia, uh, which was about as absurd as it gets when you think about it. I mean, uh, why not send them to wherever? Mars. Right? Like, why, you know, why not send them to Madagascar? <laughs> yeah, we're going to play a game in Madagascar this year. Go on the game. Um, name me a country where the game is measurably more popular than it was 30 years ago. You can talk about places in the U.S. I'll buy that. Yep. Like Dallas, there's minor hockey. L.A., there's a lot more minor hockey. Now, Florida, there's a lot more minor hockey. Although none of those places are really producing major numbers of elite players, but they are producing some. I'll, g- I'll give you that. But name me a country where the NHL has gone and, quote, grown the game substantially over the past since Gary Bettman became uh, um, commissioner 174 years ago. I mean, they're really, there's none. I mean, they talked about China. They talked about Japan, you know, all the European countries. It, it, it just doesn't happen. So, why do they keep doing this? Mm. What is the point? And and not only that, I know I'm running on a little bit, but you know I don't get on very often. You're, so I you're going my so good. In. You're saying everything yeah. I want to. So keep going, Demo. <laughs> well, I mean, not not only that is. Let's say that it's a good idea. Let's say it's a good idea to try to grow the game in parts of the world where it's not popular. You have to have a plan. You have to do it year after year mm. after year. Like the NFL goes to Germany, right? They go year after year after year. Well, these guys, you know, they're they're one year it's the it's the Canada Cup, then it's rendezvous, then it's the World Cup, then we're in the Olympics, <laughs> then we're out of the Olympics, then we're you know it's all then we're sending our best kids to the World Juniors, but then we're not going to send our best kids to the World Juniors, and you know it's like all over the map. These guys, there's never mm. as long as Gary Bettman's been commissioner there, ha- and before there has never been a coherent international hockey plan which is part of the reason guys international hockey from a canadian and american point of view is less popular today i would argue than it was before gary bettman became commissioner they're going to expand again too like before they figured out arizona it feels like they're going to, they're going to go to 34 teams why not um well no. and, and even and even that point right let's say they were serious then why isn't there a team in london why isn't there a team in Frankfurt? Hmm. Why isn't there a team in in Stockholm or Helsinki? If they if they really believe in because you know the NFL is going to go there eventually, um, and we know the NBA has made huge inroads in Asia, mm-hmm. but the NHL just is about the same. But they keep wasting our time with these silly international ventures. Well, now that we're here, Sportico had its its um, ranking of the franchise valuations for all the North American pro sports and the average NHL franchise. It's up in value because it's a pro sports team. Of course, it's up in value, but it is closer. The average value of an NHL franchise is closer in value to an MLS franchise than it is to a Major League Baseball franchise, which is the third biggest sport in North America, which is, I mean, it's jarring to hear that, yeah, the NHL is so fringe when it comes to the United States specifically, not this country. It's yeah. always going to be number one here that it's, it's closer to MLS, which is a, a second tier league. It's growing as well. Um, but yeah, to your point about growing the sport, is there hope for this sport? I mean, it does feel like it is one where just like climactically, y- yeah, it's, you're going to have a tough sell in a place where it is hot all the time like Australia, but I, I guess they made it work in Arizona. Is, is there just an, a built-in hindrance to the NHL's ability to grow the game because it is a sport so dependent on ice? 
Just quick fact check. Jury may be out as to whether it's working in Arizona. Or yeah. Not. Just a quick little fact yeah. check there. I was, I'm glad you jumped in on that Thank one. You. I was about to scream. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that's a good question. And, and there's, there, the, like, they have developed the game in, like I said, Dallas is a great example. Now, but Dallas has a long hockey history. Um, so that, you know, you know, Gary Bettman only gets some of that and really he had to do that by uprooting the Minnesota North Stars and moving them there. Um, Florida might be a better example um, where they developed the game, but that's also where there's a lot of Canadians, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of Canadians go to, go to Florida. Um, it's, a, it's been a regional sport forever. It uh, is obviously a dominant force in Canada. The Canadian teams still carry the NHL financially and in terms of popularity. Um, you know, I mean, they've been in St. Louis forever. They've been in, uh, you know, Philadelphia. That, that to me, is the one city where you could say, Philadelphia is where you could say the game is, is significant, although it's a four-sport in that city too, right? Uh-huh. Um, so, I don't know. All I know is that these, for most of these places, I mean, registration's down in Canada. Mm. At a minor hockey level, we know that. I don't know what it is in in the U.S. It is up with female hockey most places, and yet does the NHL go out of its way and support this new uh, professional women's hockey league and do everything it can to develop interest in the women's game? No, it does not. Uh, that, to me, would be growing the game. Growing the game was what they seemed to be doing with Pride Nights and stuff like that. Now they don't want to do that anymore, so we're not going to grow that part of the game either. Um I think, I think, look, Gary Bettman needs to go as commissioner. This league has run out of ideas under his leadership. All, they do two things. They have outdoor games and they expand. And if you, want, if you want to look at why nobody has a good third line or fourth line anymore, it's yep. because of expansion. And yet everybody, when they go, oh, the NHL is going to expand again, expand again, and it's treated like this great thing, oh, they're going to go to – you know, Wichita and, uh, you know, some other place this time. Isn't this great? Um, but, uh, you know, they need desperately new leadership, new ideas, new commitments. Sure, that's the owners who direct it. I understand that. But Gary Bettman hasn't had a, you know, hasn't had a new idea um, since, you know, this, this, this century, guys. This is the same old playbook he keeps running. It's like the old Green Bay sweep, right? Just run it seal over here and, over and a seal over here, yeah. <laughs> so, and they're still there. There you go. It's, uh, it's, it is interesting. The one thing I will say that I, and to your point, it's not going to change it anywhere other than where the game already is, but I do wonder if, and this isn't something that takes hold in a year or two, but I do wonder if, you know, a decade of hockey being back on ESPN in the States does kind of change the perception a little. I don't think it'll, it'll alter it one way or another. The one thing I also come back to when I just talk about growing the game is the, and you mentioned the owners directing it, this clearly comes from the owners, is the hard, the hard and fast cap right like we look at other north american leagues and you know you can quibble with whether you like it or not but so much of the conversation is around the transaction it's not the actual action on the ice and the nhl is in just such a stasis because of their hard and fast locked cap like do you think that that is another thing that kind of halts the conversation around the game and to your point about about bettman and the lack of new ideas like clearly not pushing for anything to change in in that regard and obviously the owners are only going to be pushed so much on cost certainty but i I can't help but look at that aspect of it as what makes it so different from the other North American pro sports as well. 
Well, I think cost certainty is a big reason why their franchise values are where they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they have great cost certainty. So if that was the goal, it had nothing to do with what's going on, on the ice. Cost certainty mm-hmm. helps franchise values uh, uh, year after year, particularly when we're in a, a period like we are now where the cap is is not been going up uh, at all. And, and probably that helped them get through COVID a little bit when there was nobody in the buildings um, and that sort of stuff. Um, in terms of fans, I think we all would agree that the, the fact that you have hard caps really restricts the team's ability to make changes and trades, which to my mind have always been things that have spurred interest in the game. You know, people love trades. People love player movement um, and that sort of stuff. And the only player movement of significance that we're, that happens now is either at the trade deadline or during the summer where every team turns over a third of their roster because they've got a bunch of guys on one contract, one year contract. So they bring in a bunch of other guys on one year contracts. Right. And the core of their team stays exactly the same. So, you know, I think that is, that's certainly an area where you could create more fan, but right now, you know, the focus they think um, to creating more um, a fan interest is gambling. They, they think that is what is going to make people more excited and engaged with the NHL. Um, and, and I, look, I certainly don't have the numbers on that. I don't, I, I don't do any of the gambling. I'm not interested. So I don't know if this, if this scheme is working. All I know is it used to be verboten to gamble in the NHL. And now everybody gambles unless you do it the wrong way. Like Shane Pinto did. Yeah, so, say, don't mention him. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Don't mention the war. Um, the, uh, the, so, um, you know, I, I just, I, I think that's what's happened in the NHL and maybe, you know, it's, and it just one other point you mentioned ESPN, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see it. <laughs> I mean, they said the same thing when, N- when NBC got, Oh, NBC's and now this will it is the same thing with Fox. Oh, now Fox mm-hmm. is in. And we get a turnover. This has been going on for 60 years, guys of them saying, well, now that we've got this, this will spur interest. It's just not there in the U.S. You know, it's just not there. And even now ESPN will, so we had this, these were the numbers for our our latest game. And they're so tiny numbers. They're laughable Um, to any Canadian who watches the game and knows how many Canadians do. You know, they get 100,000 people and they all start jumping up and down and, you know, setting off fireworks. I mean, it's, it's it's kind of crazy, and then but ESPN, well ESPN, we live in a fractured universe. It's not 1992 anymore, and everybody gets all excited about ESPN. People are getting their information in a zillion different ways, yeah, and not just through that. Yeah, and you want to talk about you know last gasp trying to grow your sport through gambling? I mean, ESPN is trying to hang on through their gambling partnership as well. They're going to uh, launch a, a gambling. Uh, wing of their business uh, upcoming as well. So yeah, not the the, yeah. the monolith it once was. Uh, Damn no, it! No, no. Uh, I I I kn- I knew you were you were going to come to the microphone with uh, ABBA knowledge uh, to go along with your Leafs knowledge as our Leafs historian. Again, the the book is Revival: The Chaotic, Colorful Journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs. Hey, it's it's. The, the holiday season, Demo, we got to sell some books. Um, so, yes. Well, yeah, and, and like, I don't like to beg, but I, things are tough for Gord these days, so please buy it. <laughs> and we love Gord. <laughs> we all love Gord. I mean, everybody loves Gord. So, you know, and, and you know what? You buy the book, I'll come to your house, pick you up, and I'll drive you over to Gord's, and Gord's will come. Gord will come. Okay? Right. So that's the deal. That is my pledge to Done. you. Done. Um, if you'll make the pledge to me that next time I join you guys, you've got better ABBA, then yeah. I think we got, we, got a, we got an agreement here. Done deal. Thanks, Demo.
See you, boys. There's Damian Cox, our Leafs historian, ABBA historian, co-author with Gord Stelic. Josh Santos' wedding of, what's better, ABBA? I played one of their songs. <laughs> Honestly. Dancing Queen, come on. Yeah, for sure. Come on. Yeah. Hey. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Um, NHL can be an easy punching God. bag. Loved it. At so times. Good. It was fun. And yeah, this is the time in this market, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, there, there will be others. Don't you worry. <sighs> I do. It does feel like there is just this hindrance of, hey, if you have no chance of growing up with the game in your region, mm-hmm. you don't even know what ice is yeah. when it's not in your drink. Like, how are you ever going to become <laughs> a hockey fan? But it, it has happened in Vegas. I, I mean, don't know. Ask Austin Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I know. The, the no, if, if, if I ever, no, here's the here's the argument for Sweden here. Okay. If you were going to take a big swing, if you needed to take a big swing, because the other sports, they're they're lapping the field here, it would be to set up a European division or something. Oh, I I thought you were going to go the opposite way. It's like, why why isn't Austin Matthews playing a hockey game in Mexico City? Like, mm. do you not have just as many? Like, again, like we don't like we don't need to belabor the point here. Now but you want to like, go to Mexico City? No, I don't. Well, actually, I would because guess what? They wouldn't need three thousand days off from crossing a, an ocean. Uh-huh. So, but if you're going to go somewhere, I don't know, maybe let him have a homecoming. Not his home, but you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I understand that. But I would also say that that's a, that's a longer, <laughs> you'd have to have a longer time horizon for the Mexico City growing the game there. Okay, then. but then growing the game in Sweden to them not growing it, it's like, okay, great. The game is just as popular as it was before. I hope you all enjoyed yourself. Shake hands and go our separate ways. How about just contraction? Just have only the markets that like hockey play hockey. Agree. That would be the dream. Contraction, not black cap. Go. (laughs) All right, we'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Good Good morning. morning.